Well, good evening. Are we doing well tonight? Hey, we're here on a Friday night. Everybody's fired up. Apparently, everyone has a lot of uh, either Celsius or coffee in their system, depending on your choice of preference. Um, but hey, welcome to Movement Weekend, man. We're so grateful that you are here tonight. How many of y'all, uh, you've been to Movement Weekend before? Like, this is not your first rodeo. You've been here before. Make some noise. Let me hear you. Uh, and, and, and how about those of you in here, this is your first time. You're like, I don't know what I signed up for. Yeah. Listen, you are in for an amazing weekend. We're so excited that you're here. Hey, my name is Chris Dotson, and um, I have the privilege of serving just down the road over in uh, downtown Tampa at a church called South Tampa Fellowship. And let me just say, man, it is an absolute honor to be joining y'all here tonight. You guys have an amazing church. Y'all know your church is awesome, right? Like you, Mel Shoal is an amazing church. Pastor Matthew, can we just get over Pastor Matthew? Like over there, like I don't know if y'all know, but we like are on the same wavelength because we wore the same shirt basically. I had the little more open look. He had the more closed look, but you know, it says a lot about our personalities. I'm a little bit out here on the edge. We know what to expect with him. And so, but uh, listen, I'm, I'm super excited and honored to be here tonight. Um, you know, I uh, get the privilege, like I said, of serving over in, uh, in downtown Tampa. And I get to do that alongside my amazing wife, Rachel, and my family. And here's the deal. Um, the reality is that some of you, you're like, bro, I don't know if I want to listen to this guy. Let me tell you what's going to make you listen to me if I show you a picture of my cute family. And so uh, let me go ahead and throw this picture up on the screen. Yeah, everybody say, aw. That is my wife, Rachel, and our daughter, Rosie, and our son, Remington. I think I got one of just the two of the kids up here. Yeah, that's Rosie on the left-hand side. Uh, don't awe. She knows she's cute, and she uses it to her advantage. That's Remington. He's never done anything wrong. Uh, again, this is Rosie right here, just her hanging on the beach. And, uh, and then this is our boy, little, little Remy right here in the fire trucks. Yeah, so, and then I have one more. Like, this is the cutest picture ever. I mean, come on, guys. Look at that face. How, I, listen. Guys, I've got good theology. I believe all of us were born into sin, but that one, I don't think so. Um, but hey, uh, that's my family, and, uh, and uh, we are, uh, we've been in the Tampa area for a very long time, and like I said, just know a ton about this church and uh, just the great things that God is doing here. And you know, um, I got little kids, right? Rosie's two and a half. Our little guy, Remington, he is, um, he's a year, or no, sorry, no, he's two and a half months old, year, gosh, time flies when you're a parent, right? And uh, so, you know, like, we're relatively new to the parent game, you know, and uh, was definitely one of those people who had all the right answers, and I knew uh, that uh, every other parent that was doing things their way was wrong, and I was going to do it all right, and then I had kids and realized, oh, I have no stinking clue what I'm doing. And uh, that was really demonstrated with our first daughter, Rosie. Um, if you guys know, how many of y'all, you maybe like have like a little baby in your family, like maybe a cousin or a net, something like that, like maybe a little sibling? Okay, cool. So maybe you know a little bit of this vibe. So early on when the baby's born, uh, they're just not, they're, 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 they're real helpless, you know. Like there's not a lot they can do on their own. So you're the only source of anything for them. And that's definitely true of food. And so when our first uh, baby was born, Rosie, um, my wife and I, we had kind of a, a little bit of a, um, a deal worked out. And the deal was that um, during the evenings, like overnight, I would take those feedings from her. 
right? I would let her get some sleep, right? And I would feed the baby overnight, let her sleep, be a good husband, all that jazz. And so, uh, you know, I was kidding. In the middle of the night, and I mean, I was already probably up praying at that point anyway, and so it wasn't much for me to get up. I'm kidding. And uh, so, um, I, you know, I would get up in the middle of the night, get a bottle, and, and feed the baby and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, when the, those first couple of weeks, you got to be very, very particular with how much uh, milk you give a baby. So, like, the pediatrician literally tells you, hey, uh, you know, when your baby is two weeks old, then they can have, like, two little milliliters of milk. And when they're this many weeks old, they can move up to four milliliters of milk and so on and so forth. And so little Rosie, she was, like, two weeks old. And, uh, you know, they're telling us, hey, two milliliters of milk, that's it. Two milliliters of milk, that's it. I'm like, all right, bet. Like, I know, I, I get it. So uh, this one night, um, you know, I was starting to get a little bit lazy. And I didn't like having to remake a bottle every time she would wake up. And so I thought, hey, what I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to make one big bottle. And then that way I can just reheat it in the microwave, right, save me like 30 seconds of work. It's going to be golden. And uh, so we had these bottles, and they were 10-milliliter bottles. So fill it all the way up to the top and, and uh, you know, put it in the fridge, ready to go for when she uh, woke up. So, you know, around 2 a.m., that baby starts screaming, right? And if you all know how it is, it kind of starts as like a... <laughs> And you're like, oh, no, please don't, please don't, please don't. It's like the bomb that's getting ready to go off. It's like, <laughs> and there's always like a pause. like, <laughs> and the baby just screams. So I'm like, okay, Rosie's up, I got to go. So I stumble in there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, where are my pants? And where's my, like, okay, okay, that's, that's not the refrigerator, that's the pantry. Okay, all right, so this is the fridge. Okay, we got the bottle. Okay, let's go. All right, so get Rosie out of the bed and put her right here and start feeding her right and, and I get her in, like, the little position where her head's up, right, but it's not, like, all the way back. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's the baby. You guys get it? If you have a baby, you know, you know. So I'm getting it here, right, and I, I've got the bottle here. And you're supposed to do this thing where you, like, you know, you kind of, like, you, you don't, like, you just give them the milk, right? you got to make them work for it, right? So it's kind of like there's one of those, like, little, like, you kind of give it to them, and then you take it out, and then they're, like, they're like what? And I'm, like, this is life, right? If you want something, you got to work for it. Just teaching a lesson, girl. So we're doing that, and I just start to notice that, like, the air gets cooler, the stress of feeding a baby begins to go away. And I begin to slowly drift asleep. None of you are parents. Don't judge me. Um, and so I'm then there. And, but I'm good. I'm like, I'm starting to drift. And it's, it's uh, <clears throat> we're good. Okay, we're good. Okay. And I'm, and I'm kind of you know, letting her have this milk. And uh, <clears throat> we're good. We're good. We're good. And then. I hear this. And, and I look up. I'm like, oh, look, 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 look. I'm here. I'm here. And I look at Rosie. And there's milk all down. I look at the face onto her shirt all the way down. I look at this bottle. It's empty. Reminder, how many milliliters are you supposed to feed a two-week-old? Two. How many did I give her? Ten. So I'm like, all right, what do I do? So at this point, she's looking at me and she's like, <sighs> and I'm like, oh, this is what she wanted. This is why she's been crying at night. We're not feeding her enough milk. And so she's giving me these little like, oh, and she's like, you know, like talking. And you like, she's not using words, but I know what she's saying. She's like, thank you, daddy. 
that is what I needed. That is what I wanted. The living water, you gave it to me in the, in the bottle. It was great. And so I got her here, and, and she's kind of giving me these, like, these like little, oh. And so, you know, there's this thing about babies that when, they, uh, when you're really enamored with them, there's something that tells you you need to, like, look them right in the eyes and make faces at them. Anybody gone through this before? So I take her, and I kind of transition her over here, and I've got her right here. And she's like, oh. and I'm, I'm kind of doing this, like, oh. and she, every now I do this, she'll go, oh. and I'll be like, and she says this like, and I, and I go, and the third, she went, projectile vomits straight this way. I want to remind you of a couple things. Me sitting there like this. Her in front of me. It was in that moment when I had her milk in my mouth. I had a decision to make because parenting is about sacrifice. Parenting is about doing for your child what you would want done for them. I had a choice in this moment. I can swallow that milk. And I can take one for the team. But ladies and gentlemen, it was 2 in the morning. It was a reflex. And so she went, I went, and then I went, and spit milk all in her face. She's screaming. I'm screaming. Rachel comes in, my wife. She starts screaming at me, what are you doing? And I'm sitting here, I don't know. And from that point forward, I was not allowed to feed Rosie in the middle of the night. So, um, obviously you guys have never had anything like that happen to you before. Maybe you have, Matthew. Um, but here, here's the thing, guys, on a very real note. <laughs> It was one of those moments for me, like just to be totally straight up. After we got her cleaned off and like the drama was over, I, I sat there and I was like, what, what am I doing here? Like, I have no idea how to be a parent. I have no idea how to even feed this little tiny human milk, let alone parent her, let alone help her get to college one day, let alone teach her how to drive a car. I mean, I could do that. I know how to drive a car. Like, I, I, I just, I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, I think for all of us, we've had those moments where we've gone, what, <laughs> what am I doing here? All right, like maybe it's like with a group of friends and you're hanging with them and you went to a place or did start to do something that you did not expect. You're like, what am I doing here? Maybe it's even right here tonight. You're here because someone invited you. They told you it's going to be awesome. It's going to be lit. And you're like, dude, we just came in here and sang a bunch of songs that I don't know. We had a club. We had a church. Where are we at? I don't know what's going on right now. What am I doing here? And see, the reality is that when we feel out of place, Typically, what we do is we self-protect. We do everything we can to put on a front, to make decisions that are going to make us feel like we belong somewhere when we feel like we actually don't. And, and that can be true of anything and anywhere in life, but that's especially true when it comes to the things of Jesus. Because it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter if you've gone to this church your whole life, if you got invited here and this is your first time ever stepping into this building tonight, um, you've had moments where you didn't feel like you belonged around the things of Jesus. Maybe that was because of some stuff that you've done that people don't know about or some stuff you've done that people do know about. 
Maybe that was because of some questions that you have about God that you've never really had answered. Uh, maybe that's because of some doubts that you have and maybe some things that are going on at home. And you just have felt, I don't feel like I have a place. So then you step into a room like this, you step into an environment in a weekend like this, and, and, and you're called to do this one thing from the get-go, worship. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. What do you do? Well, this, this evening, I want to talk to you about what you do when you feel like you don't belong. Because ultimately, if you feel like you don't belong, and if you feel like you're alone somewhere, you're not going to be someone who's inclined to worship. So what I want to do tonight is I want to walk through a story in the book of Luke. It's a story uh, maybe many of you are familiar of if you've grown up in church, but it's a story about somebody who felt like they didn't belong. And so because they felt like they didn't belong, because they felt like they didn't have a place, because they felt like they didn't deserve to be around God then it stood in the way of them being able to worship God, to have a relationship with him. But what I want to show you tonight is that there's something surprising that happens for those of us who feel like we're out of place. But to show you that, I want us to read in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 1 of Luke chapter 19. It says this. It says, he entered Jericho. Who's the he? That's Jesus. And he was passing through. That's an important note. He was just passing through. He wasn't going there particularly. That was not his final destination. He didn't grab an Airbnb. Like he was just on his way through. Like you ever gone on a road trip and you're just passing through Calhoun, Georgia, because there's a Bucky's there. Shout out to Bucky's if y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, amen from the Lord. Um, he's just passing through. That's all he's doing here. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and there's one more note about him. He was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So, Jesus is passing through this city. And as he passes through this city... We're told that there's a man in this city by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, how many of y'all grew up in church and heard the story of Zacchaeus before? Raise your hand, right? All right, let's get it out of our system. Ready? One, two, three. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yeah, he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And he said... You come down, cause I'm going to your house today. Yeah, and I'm going to your house today. Well done, everybody. Good job. Good job. Okay, so now here's the problem. When you have been around church for a long time and you've heard a lot of church stories for a long time, they can become just that stories. I know the song, I learned about it in VBS, like I've talked about it in small group, like yeah, I know the story of Zacchaeus, but let me dive a little bit deeper for us this morning so we can really kind of enter into what's going on here. A couple things it says about Zacchaeus. First, he's a tax collector. What does that mean? Well, 
He collects tax. Yes, exactly. Very good. Uh, intuitive skills there. Um, in this time period, um, there, uh, the, the nation of Israel, the land there, was occupied by an empire known as Rome. And here's what made Rome so successful in taking over a bunch of land. What Rome would do is they would go into a place, and instead of just attacking them, attacking them with their military, uh, they would come in and say, hey, listen, we won't fight you. We won't hurt any of your people. Just look at our army and look at yours and make a decision. Surrender right now, pay us taxes, and then we will own you, but you can kind of still go about your life. So people will be like, okay, that's a much better alternative than all of us dying, so we'll, we'll do that. And so the way that they would maintain power is through these taxes that they would collect. Now, they needed a way to collect taxes before a time period where you had computers and stuff to monitor that kind of thing. So what would they do? Well... They would go, and they would find locals who lived there, and they would convince those locals to be the ones who collected the taxes from other people. But here's the problem. The locals who got this opportunity saw it as an opportunity to make a whole lot of money because what they would do is they would go to Rome and say, hey, how much do you want? And they'd say, hey, we want like 10% of what everybody makes. And they'd say, okay, bet. they come to everybody else and say, hey, Rome wants 25% of everything you make. I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. I'm just the messenger. So they take 10, the 10% and give it over to Rome. They take the other 15%, they put it in their pocket. And because of that, like we saw of Zacchaeus, it would make them very rich. Now, Zacchaeus is one of these tax collectors. And he's swindling and manipulating and stealing from his own people, which causes me to ask this question. Why would he do that? Why would he decide to turn his back on everybody who he had grown up with? All these people that he was around, all these people that he knew and played sports with and went over to their house, and like, why would he start to do that? We don't know why, but we can probably imagine there was something significant that caused him to do that. Step further, how do you think this made him in the eyes of the people around him? Well, the text tells us he was not liked at all. He was someone who was known to hurt a lot of people. And we see this in verse 4 where it says this, So running ahead while Jesus is on the road, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. Okay, question for you. Um, what kind of person doesn't let someone shorter than them stand in front of them at a parade? Like, it doesn't cost you anything for someone shorter than you to stand in front of you. You can still see. They can still see. It's a win-win situation. Why would they not let him stand in front of them to see Jesus? I'll tell you why. They didn't like him. So he exists in these two worlds, the world of Rome and the world of his home and his upbringing. And neither place is a place where he feels accepted. And I think that there's a lot of us tonight that can identify with that conundrum right there. Maybe you grew up in church, but you've never been like one of those church kids, like you, you, you've been at church, you've gone to like pseudo-ministry events and that kind of thing, but like, you just always felt like, 
God, I feel like these people, they don't struggle like I do. They don't walk through the same things I do. But then you go to, like, your public school, and you're like, okay, like, but, like, I'm not like these people. Like, man, they're, like, crazy. Like, I'll kind of get into that, but, like, I don't do that. But I don't feel like I'm here, and I'm just, like, living in the middle. Or maybe you haven't grown up in church. Maybe this is one of the first times you've been to something like this, but you still live in that tension as well because, you live a life where you find yourself fake around different groups of people. You're one way around your parents. You're another way around people at school. You're another way around the guys you play football with or whatever it might be in between. You just feel out of place. You feel like you don't belong. And so, therefore, when we come into a space like this, it's hard for us to actually worship. It's not hard for us to say words on a screen. But it is hard for us to give God everything in these moments. You want to know why? Because he's not getting anything outside of these moments. But Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He's looking for him. He's interested in him. And so he decides to go and to climb into a tree to try to find Jesus. Now, look at what happens next in verse 5. When Zacchaeus came to the place, sorry, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down here today because it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Now, pause for a second. Again, we've heard the story our whole life. We can visualize in our tree, or our, our, our minds, that Jesus is walking. There's this tree. It's like a palm tree. Easy to see Zacchaeus. He's just busting out like, don't look at me. And he sees him and goes, hey, I'm, I'm coming to your house today. But I want to show you. This is what a, a sycamore tree looks like. This is a sycamore tree in Jericho, the city where Zacchaeus lived. That's leafy. Like, if someone's up in the top of that tree, the only way you're seeing them is how? If you're looking for them. Notice something. Zacchaeus climbs this tree hoping that he can get a glimpse of Jesus. And yet what he doesn't realize is that Jesus has been looking for him this entire time. Which again, it might be you tonight. Maybe you're here because you're a little interested in God. You're trying to see what this whole thing is about. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've got questions, but you're like, all right, God, I'll give you one more chance. Like, I need you to prove me something to me. Movement weekend, I'm here, moving my life. Could it be that the irony is that many of us assume that our life is lived looking for God when the truth is life is lived with God looking for us? And more specifically, God finding us. says he came to the place and he saw Zacchaeus. He knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. It says he came to the place. He knew it. It was specific. You want to know why? Because even though Jesus is just passing through, he's passing through so that he can meet Zacchaeus. And look at what he says. He says, hurry and come down because it is necessary for me to stay at your house. That's interesting because in this time period, you didn't let people stay with you unless they were family. 
Because whoever stayed with you, whoever ate with you, whoever was in your presence in your home, you were associated with them. Which is why Jesus got in trouble a lot with very religious people. Because they said over and over and over and over again, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Ugh. Why were they so frustrated with that? Because you didn't have a meal and you didn't stay with someone you weren't family with. So when Jesus makes this invitation right here, he's actually extending Zacchaeus an invitation to something deeper. Not just a moment at his house with him, but an invitation into his presence as a member of his family. Which again, is what worship is. Worship is when we give God back the worth that he deserves because we've experienced who he is in his presence. And we can do that with song. We can do that with dancing and getting hype in a room like this. But you also can do that in second period on Monday morning at Brandon High School. You also can do that on Tuesday at baseball practice. And look at what Zacchaeus says. So he quickly came down and he welcomed him joyfully. And then look what happened. What we see was going to happen. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and he said to the Lord, look, 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 I'll give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay them back four times. Did Jesus ask him to do that? He didn't. But he's offering. He's offering. Why is he offering? Why in this moment would Zacchaeus make this decision to give back everything and give it to Jesus and give it back to the people who he had taken money from? The reason why is because in this moment, in this encounter with Jesus, he's finally found an invitation that tells him he has a place. And here's the deal. He has always had a place with Jesus. But because of what he was carrying in his life, he didn't see that he had a place. And can I tell you the same thing is true about you and me? All of us have a place with Jesus. A seat at his table. The opportunity to enter into a relationship with him and not just a decision we made one time when we were eight, but something where we live our entire lives for him and his glory, a life of worship. The question, though, is do we see that we have that place? Because here's the deal. What we carry in life, it can convince us of two things. It can convince us that we don't need a place with Jesus. And it also can convince us that we don't have a place with Jesus. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate this for, for just a minute. So 
I, I want us to think about something for a minute. <clears throat> you have a seat at Jesus' table, which is to say you have a place in his family. But what you carry in life will blind you from that seat that's always been available to you. So I brought a buddy with me. I'm going to invite up here. His name is Michael. Y'all get up for Michael for a second. Come on. And um, <clears throat> Michael is uh, Michael is the uh, student pastor over at our church. And we were just talking over here. And he's like, dude, it's awesome being at one of these things and watching everybody go crazy, not having to worry about anything breaking because we're not in charge. So sorry, Matthew. Um, but um, I want to think about something, okay? So um, I want you all to visualize yourself here, okay? And in life... You have a seat that's available for you, a place with God, a relationship with Jesus that's available to you. Not just something you can do one time, but something you can have every day in a life of worship. But some people in this place, you don't think you have a seat because you don't think you need a seat. Because you're carrying things that are convincing you otherwise, right? For example, right, you're, you're carrying the, 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 the burden of why I go to church. Like, I, I listen, bro, movement weekend, been here since sixth grade. Okay, I'm a pro. I'm basically a leader. No, you're 13. Calm down. But no, I mean, like, I go to church, man. I've been to Bell Shoals my whole life. Like, VBS, I serve in it, right? Like, I go to camp, and I'm basically like a junior leader. Like, I just kind of tell everybody what to do and, and that kind of thing. Like, 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 this event right here, movement weekend, like, that, that's for the lost kids, that's for the kids that I pray for at youth. I'm a church kid. And, dude, not only am I a church kid, bro, I know my Bible. Sanctification, I know what that means. Justification, I know what that means. All the Asians, yeah, got them, flashcarded them, memorized the verses, got the verse memory thing app on my phone. Like, again, this kind of stuff, this message, it's been good, Chris. It's not for me. Because I made my decision when I was eight. At camp three years ago, I, I, I made the point. And not even only that, but, like, I'm actually a good person. Like, there are some people here, Chris, and I am on their close friend snap. And just I'm telling you right now, you don't want to know what they were doing last weekend. Holiday weekend, yes, it was for them. I don't do that. I never drank. I don't smoke. I don't know if I know what weed smells like. So what we can do is we can carry all of these things. You want to know what this is called? Self-righteousness. Because what this is is you saying I'm justified before God because of who I am. So what does that do? Hey, you got a seat available to you. Come on over. Walk through life. And so you walk. And you walk, and you walk, and guess what? You don't see that there's a seat there. And so you'll wander a little bit, and you'll look really, 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 really good. But you'll miss this. Because what you carry is telling you you don't need a seat. That seat's for somebody else. Or, maybe... It's not that you don't think you need a seat. <laughs> Maybe you're the opposite. Um, 
you did not grow up in church. This is all very weird to you. Or you did grow up in church and you've made it very clear, this is not for you. So you might not struggle with thinking you don't need a seat. Maybe because of what you've done and what you carry in life, you just think that you don't have a seat. And oh, maybe you are a church kid. Maybe you've gone to Movement Weekend before. You've done camp and BBS as a leader and all that good stuff. But, like, yeah, you're here and you go to church. You know the answers. But, like, you're addicted to pornography and you don't know how to get over it. And you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried, and you've tried. And every time you white knuckle and you say, I'm never going to do this again, you get right back into it. Or maybe you like to have a little too much fun with your friends because ultimately deep down, you don't feel like you're significant unless someone is laughing and having fun with you. So whatever that takes, you'll do. So obviously you're at a place like this and you don't have a seat. And maybe you could front and fake and be like, oh, yeah, I know, Jesus loves me. But do you really believe that? Or do you think you don't have a seat? Or maybe it's just because there's some really secret, dark things in your heart and in your mind that you've never even told anybody about. It's anxiety that you don't know what to do with because it cripples you. It's a depression that when that wave hits you, you can't even get out of bed. It's those thoughts that you've even had about ending everything. So obviously, how could God use you? How could you have a space in his family? How could you live a life of worship? You can't even feel good about yourself, let alone feel good about God. So no, you don't think that you don't need a seat. You just think that you don't have a seat because of what you carry. So you walk through life, and God's guiding you. He's trying to show you, but you're like, oh, I can't, I can't see it. All right, I guess I'm going to go this way. And I'm trying to find that seat. I'm trying to find my purpose in life, and I, I, I just don't see it. Which is why when Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, the first thing Zacchaeus does is he casts the things that have been holding him back from Jesus on to Jesus. It reminds me of something that Jesus said elsewhere at the end of the uh, 11th chapter of Matthew where he said this. He says, hey, come to me. Come to me. In my life with my kids where I have to look at my daughter and say, come to me. And let me tell you what my daughter typically hears that as, an interruption. We're at a store. We're walking outside. She's insisting on walking across the road. I said, Rosie, come to me. We're by the pool, and she's jumping around, and she's playing Dino Ranch, acting like she's riding a dinosaur around the pool. And, and I look at her and I say, Rosie, come to me. It's not an interruption, though. It's an invitation because what she's doing is going to bring her destruction. Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are weary and who are carrying heavy 
burdens. And I will give you rest. The question, though, is will we come to him? Because to enter into his rest is to enter into a life where we can actually worship God. Not because we're forced to because of a song on a stage or because we're invited to in a life that looks different, but will we see that as an invitation or an interruption? As the band comes up, I'm reminded as I think through this message of an experience I had on my wedding day. And um, a couple of things you need to know, the family that I married into is very different from the family that I grew up around. Um, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, and so if you know anything about the Midwest, hey, hey, come on, OH, baby, and uh, come on, <laughs> this is a serious moment, calm down, guys, um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, I didn't grow up, like, you know, like, I, like, just grew up typical little small town Ohio, um, uh, my wife grew up in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, but she grew up on this massive farm. And uh, a couple things you need to know about my father-in-law. Uh, in his house, um, he's got a couple, like, sheep that he, like, you know, hunted and, like, a wolf that he tracked and hunted and multiple deer. And I'm, like, walking in going, he's like, hey, boy, what kind of what what gun do you like to hunt with? And I'm like, well... I've used a Nerf gun before, but that's about it. And, um, you know, so he's one of those, like, stoic guys, like, you know, really, really serious all the time, like, just a man's man kind of thing. And, you know, we, like, like in my engagement and dating relationship, we always, like, we had a really good relationship, but it was always this, like, kind of standoffish, like, yes, sir, like, yeah, I'm taking your daughter out tonight, I'll have her back by 8.30, yes, sir, like, that, that kind of a thing. Um, and so, you know, it's the night before our wedding, and we're doing the rehearsal, and, um, you know, when you do your wedding rehearsal, you uh, have to walk through every part of the wedding. So there's a part of the wedding where um, the father of the bride walks the bride down the aisle. She gets to the front, and they do this thing where they say, now who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the father says, her mother and I. And then you do this thing where you kind of shake hands, and, you you know, he puts her hand into to the, the groom's hand, and then they face each other, and they, they do the wedding. So, you know, like, for me, I'm like, dude, this is, like, the handshake that seals the deal. Like, this is the one where, like, he's giving his daughter's hand literally to me in marriage. Like, like I'm protector now. I'm provider. I'm all those things. So, you know, the, 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 the rehearsal happens, and I, you know, look at him, and I give him this, like, you know, like, this, like, real firm, you know, thing. And he gives me one of these. He gives me, like, yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You and, you and the mother. Yep, yep. I'm a protector. Yep, we got it. And I'm ready for wedding day, right? Like, it's time to shine. I'm going to get up there in front of all those people. I'm going to shake that hand and show them that I'm a man and I'm going to marry his daughter, right? All this formality, all this stuff, all this pressure in this moment. So I'm there and my wife starts coming down the aisle and I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to start crying right now. Dang it, dang it, dang it. Gets to the front of the aisle. And I see him there and I'm ready now reach out to grab his hand and he just gives me one of those and I went it's going to get really awkward really fast he looks at me and he says come here and he grabs me and gives me the biggest bear hug I've ever had and he whispers in my ear and he says son we don't shake hands 
poor family. And I wonder how many of us in here tonight, when it comes to Jesus, man, you're expecting, you gotta get it all right. You gotta put that hand out. You gotta have everything situated, feet in the right position, hand locked and loaded, ready for that handshake. And he's looking at you now, he's just saying, we're family. And you might not realize that we're family because of what you're carrying, So I wonder how many of us tonight would believe that, would cast our cares onto him and sit down at the seat that's been given to us. So would you bow your heads with me tonight? I mean, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, um, Man, I, I just want to ask you a very, very simple question. Have you taken that seat? I, I'm not asking you if you have gotten baptized. I'm not asking you if you go to church. I'm not asking if you've walked an aisle. Like, I'm legitimately asking you straight up, have you taken that seat? Or have you been walking through life assuming you don't have a seat or maybe don't need a seat? Because you've been carrying things you were never meant to carry. And tonight, there's an invitation going out to you. And it's coming through me, but it's not me giving it to you. It's Jesus. He's saying, come. I know the immediate thought is to see that as an interruption. It's an interruption in your plans. It's an interruption in how you thought this night was going to go. It's an interruption. But I just pray in this moment you would not see it as an interruption. You'd see it as an invitation. An invitation to stop faking it. An invitation to stop finding your worth in things that will never satisfy. An invitation of stop feeling like you have to be one person here, another person at school, another person at home. An invitation to actually rest. So, if that's you in this space tonight, I just want to invite you to pray something along with me. And there's nothing special about these words. Right now, all I'm trying to do is give you words to articulate what's happening in your heart. But tonight you say, no, Chris, I've not sat in that seat. I've sat there because I've been carrying all my own sin, all my own burdens, all my own shame. I've been carrying all of it, Chris. Like, I, 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 I want to take that seat, though. I invite you to pray this. Say, Jesus, I'm done carrying it. And you know what it is. You, you know what it is. It might be the addiction. It, it might be the double life. It, it might be the insecurity. It might be the doubt. It might be the, like, it, you're done carrying it. Say, Jesus, I want to give it to you. I give it all to you. turn away from all the things that I've been doing that make me carry these burdens. I want to take a seat. I want to enter into a relationship with you. A real one. 
life is a life of worship of you, not of me. I mean, with every head still bowed in this place, that was you that prayed that. I want to say something to you very specifically. And so what I want to ask, I'm going to count to three. And all I want to ask you to do is just to look at me so I can talk to you directly. That was you. You said, Chris, like, I made that decision. I want to take a seat in that chair. I'm, I'm casting it onto you, Jesus. That was you. If you count to three, I want you to look at me with everybody else's head bowed and eyes closed. That was you. Look at me in one, two, three. That was you. That's the best decision that you could ever make. Ever. Because you've been trying to find in life a place to be satisfied, and I'm telling you, you're going to find it in Him. Now, everybody look at me. The beautiful thing about these moments, guys, is that you're in a space where this event literally exists for what just happened. So, if you looked at me, now I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand for two reasons. One, because this place will go buck wild with what God just did in your life. But two, because you're not meant to do this life with Jesus on your own. And I'm going to be honest with you. Right now, there's that thing like, nope, you said look at you. You didn't say stand. I ain't doing that. Listen, if you can't stand for Jesus in this room where it's easiest, you'll never stand for him outside of this room where it's a whole lot more difficult. Maybe this would be that first step of obedience that you need to activate in your actions what just happened in your heart and faith. So I'm going to invite you on the count of three. If that was you, you looked at me to stand. And everybody else... You better not let me down by going buck wild. Because we want to celebrate with you. And then we want to worship together with our new brothers and sisters in Christ. So, one, everything and everything that's telling you right now not to do it, I'm going to tell you it's a lie from the enemy. Two, I know it's scary. I know you have fear. But right now in this moment, we want to celebrate what God has done in your life. If that was you, stand to your feet right now. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Hey, everyone to your feet. Everyone to your feet now. Everyone to your feet. Come on. Hey, we have brothers and sisters in Christ entering into the kingdom of God tonight. Come on. Hey, now listen. Now we're going to sing a song. But we might have just been singing earlier. Right now we're going to worship. We're going to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of these people. And for some of these people, it's brand new. For others of you, you've experienced this before. This has happened before. But you've been going through the motions. Guys, eternity is too long to go through the motions. The kingdom of God is too important to go through the motions. So right now in this moment, let's worship him in spirit and in truth. That means with our emotions, that means with our words, that means with our hands, with everything that's in us, let's lift up a praise to God because he is worthy. He has a name that is above every single name. Let's worship, come on.